Good morning. Um, so if you guys didn't know, Asher and Brooke went on a trip to Colorado, and their flights got canceled. And I was thinking, if I was in Colorado at the beginning of summer, I didn't have to speak on Sunday, then my plane might get canceled as well. <laughs> that was a joke. Anyways, um, but I did tell him, I did say um, that now that he's not here, I do get to say whatever I want, and he has, I'm never going to come back again. Um, <laughs> So, during my time at Tabor so far, I have found myself surrounded by an incredible group of guys and girls who are on fire for Jesus. They love the Lord like no one I've ever met before. They are so on fire for just the spreading of the gospel. Their, their goal this semester, a lot of the believers got together, so our goal for this semester is to make as many disciples as we possibly can to follow Jesus. I think that's incredible. Um, but I've never found a group of guys that can sit down in a small dorm room. If you guys have ever been to Tabor, it's not great. I mean, the dorm rooms are terrible. But we're getting new ones, so it should be good. Anyways, I've never found a group of guys that can sit together in a small dorm room and study Scripture for hours and hours and praise Jesus with a guitar that's not tuned and just love the Lord. It's incredible, the group of guys that we've, this community that we've created. Um, several times we've, we've got together and we're like, hey, we should go through this verse. And then we go through this verse and it takes us hours and we should be doing homework or studying for finals, but we justify it by saying that, you know, Jesus is long-term and school is not. And so um, that's how we justify it. But I've also never found a group of guys in my entire life that have this deep passion and this deep love and this fire inside of them for pranks. They love pranking Tabor College. It's incredible. And well, it's, it's the greatest thing that I've ever been a part of, if I'm, other than the kingdom, um, if I'm being honest. And I know someday like, I'll be talking to people, and I'll be talking to maybe a group of people, and I'll say something like, um, man, back when I was younger, in my college days, I was a little irresponsible, and me and my college buddies used to blah, 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 but like right now I'm living in this stage of life, and so I am irresponsible, and if something's weird about Kansas it, or about Tabor, it is probably me and my buddies, and, um, and so just living through this is really awesome, and if I'm being honest, I, I hope and I pray that I never leave this stage of life. It is so much fun. <laughs> Side note, real fast, I found out yesterday at a softball game, my sister's softball game, I found out that, to my surprise, I have a 3.7 GPA. It's great. I know Mr. Gosen didn't expect that one. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Anyways, in the middle of the semester, I made a new best friend. Um, he's an awesome guy. We went to camps together. We, we passed each other, but we never really talked. We never really were friends during high school. He goes to Kansas, I was in Oklahoma, um, and then at college we met, we never really connected, but one day we were sitting on a couch that we found on the side of the road, and we had to, we had to fix it, we had to put it together, we found this couch, put it together, we're sitting on it, enjoying it, 
And while we were enjoying this brand new musty couch, I said, hey, uh, what's your testimony? Like, what, like tell me your, your storyline, like your life. And so he gave me, he told me about um, his time before knowing Christ and then where he's at now in his faith. And then he asked me and I told him about my, my testimony. And it, it was then that I realized how powerful testimonies could be. It's incredible how much, how much power a testimony holds. Anyways, after a while, we decided it was getting pretty cold, so we decided we should probably get off the couch, disassemble it, get it off of the roof of the cafeteria. <laughs> we skipped the disassembling part. We left it up there for next year. But anyways, the testimony was the main part of that story. Okay, so... The book of Titus, we're going to get into some, uh, the word real fast. The book of Titus is one of three books that fall into a category called the pastoral epistles. Um, the pastoral epistles contain 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy, written in that order. Paul is writing to these two young pastors out of concern for their necessities and the setting and culture that they're leading in. Paul wrote, um, Paul wrote this letter to Titus. Titus was a Greek Christian. It's assumed that he was converted to Christianity by Paul doesn't really say that, but we're assuming. And in 2 Corinthians 8.23, he claims that, he's, that Titus is Paul's brother in Christ. And so they did ministry together for a long time. They traveled to several cities. Um, they did several journeys, and they did ministry together. And it's said by scholars that Paul planted somewhere between 14 to 20 churches in his lifetime. And I was thinking, that's pretty incredible whenever you think about half of Paul's life was um, was. was consisted of persecuting Christians. 33 years of his life, he was persecuting Christians. In the second half, he started up to 20 churches. That's incredible. And one of the churches that Paul started was on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. Now, we know by reading Titus 1.5 that on Paul's last journey, he left Titus in Crete to lead the body of believers there. Now, we know of at least two reasons why Paul left Titus in Crete. One of them is because Crete had a reputation of being liars, greedy, gluttons. Um, in fact, a poet from their own culture stated in Titus 1.12, we read, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now that would be equivalent to someone from Enid maybe writing something like, Enidites are always bad drivers, um, obsessed with Chick-fil-A and addicted to large Christmas trees that fall in half. I don't know. So, that would be kind of the same. The second reason that Paul left Titus is because Paul needed someone in place to appoint leaders in the church and keep the church in order. So this letter was sent to Titus after Paul's first imprisonment as sort of a guide to restore the churches in Crete. And we can see in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We see a long list of vices that Paul gives that's associated with the pre-salvation or pre-Christian life. At the beginning, Paul says, for we ourselves were once. He's reminding Titus that at one time they were in the same exact shoes as the Cretans are at right now. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, that he was the foremost of sinners. So if God can save Paul, then surely God could save the Cretans. 
So moving on to verse 4, Paul says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now this is the beginning of a four-verse confessional statement that Paul gives. Many describe these next verses as a highly condensed sentence that summarizes the gospel in a nutshell. So verse 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Then we continue with the confessional statement to verse 5 through 7. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now we can divide this passage up into three different parts. The first part is he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. What Paul did here is he gave us the basis for salvation. This is the foundation on why God saved us. It's not because of what we could do. We're at the hand of a merciful God. So I would really hate for my eternity to be up to me and my good deeds. In the next part of the passage we can look at, it's the second half of verse 5. It says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This includes the means as to how we can gain or inherit salvation. There's no other way to earn salvation than by the Father through Jesus Christ. We must shed off the old and put on the new. The only way we're able to have a washing of regeneration and a renewal of the Holy Spirit, as we see here, is through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. The means by which we can gain salvation through the process is through the process of a second birth. And the third and final part that we're going to look at is verse 6 and 7. It says, Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now this is the goal for salvation. This is God's ultimate goal for us to be heirs of eternal life, for us to spend eternal life with the Father. That is the goal of salvation. But, what can get confusing is when we look around at the surrounding verses in Titus, it says, um, we see Paul almost praising good works. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work. So Paul is almost praising these good works, but why does he speak so highly of doing good works and then discredit it when it comes to our salvation? You have to remember who Paul is talking to. See, the island that Titus is on is known for being pledged by violence, sexual corruption, lying. It's important to understand that what Paul was getting at is that the production of good works is not the opposite of faith, but instead it's the essential consequence of faith. The production of good works is not the opposite of faith, but instead it's the essential consequence consequence for faith. So one of the coolest things for me, I already shared a little bit about this, about going to Tabor, is there's a college ministry on campus that some of you guys might remember. It's been going on for a really long time. Uh, it's a student-led ministry. It's called SPND. It stands for Share Prayer and Dare. It's incredible. On average, they have about 70 to 80 people come per week um, there's a great worship team. They're passionate and talented. They love worshiping God and Jesus. Then we always have a guest student speaker that comes and shares what's on their heart. It's really, it is incredible. Now, if you're a ministry major like me, this is a great opportunity to put into practice your exegetical research and make a 20-minute, easy-to-understand message 
Um, it's a great opportunity for that. But if you're too busy studying some other major, then it might be easier and less stressful just to give your testimony. And this is my favorite part. I love listening to people's testimonies. Um, it's so interesting and encouraging to see where people were at before they met Jesus and where they're at now in faith. And so we've heard from people who have lived lives of struggle and extreme shame and guilt, but when they came to know Christ through this extremely complex and orchestrated roundabout way, they're now living in the joy and light of Jesus. We've seen people who grew up in a household that loves Jesus, who praises Jesus every day, and they just haven't made that commitment in their heart until maybe they came to college, and now they rejoice in the name of Jesus and want to spread and proclaim his powerful name all over campus to everyone. Then we've also had people who, before, were actively pursuing the direction opposite of Jesus. But one day, God wrecked their heart, and now they're unrecognizable to their friends of the past and how, because of how much their heart has changed. So if we take the advice that Paul gives Titus when it comes to leading the believers on the island of Crete, I think it's important to remember two things. One of them is that remember what you used to be. So for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. See, Paul here is remembering and helping Titus even remember where they used to be at. And the second thing to remember is the great salvation of God. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's so important to remember where you were and where you are now. Especially when it comes to personal discipleship, which I mentioned earlier was the goal of a lot of believers on campus. A lot of the times we find that the best evidence of Christianity is your story. So in making disciples, it's really important to share your story about where you were before Christ and where you are now after Christ. Who knows, maybe you'll make a best friend sitting on a couch on top of the cafeteria someday, like I did. Please pray with me.